This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Hear from a Bloomington High School student who says too often the things emphasized during Black History Month don't show the full scope of their contributions to America. We have to acknowledge everyone, starting with an education system that doesn't pick and choose which Black history, but covers its entirety. Aaliyah Huseman shares her thoughts in a contest-winning essay. Plus, hate crimes against people of Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islander backgrounds are rising. Hear from some in central Illinois about how they try to be safe. And the recent end of publication of several books by Dr. Seuss shows children's literature has changed in the last 30 years. An ISU scholar in that field tells you just how much. All that and a news update on the way. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. Support for Sound Ideas comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology, the best hearing device center in the Panagraph Reader's Choice Awards for the sixth year in a row. Bloomington Normal Audiology thanks the listeners and their continued vote of confidence as the leaders in hearing and technology. With a practice featuring five doctors, including two who wear hearing devices themselves, BNA takes a genuine interest in each patient and helps you keep hearing the most important sounds of your life. More information at bnaudiology.com. Bloomington Normal Audiology, here for you. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Let's run down some of the day's top stories. More than 20,000 McLean County residents have received both COVID vaccine doses. That's less than 12% of the county population. Champaign County's rate is 22%. Peoria County has nearly 19% vaccinated. Statewide, the average is close to 14%. Only 23 counties in Illinois have a lower vaccination rate than McLean County. The Illinois Department of Public Health says more than 58,000 vaccine doses have been administered in the county. McLean County also has announced 83 new coronavirus cases since Friday. The county topped 15,000 cases since the start of the pandemic. Reported incidents of white supremacist propaganda distributed surged by 100% in Illinois from 2019 to 2020. The Anti-Defamation League reports this week there were more than 150 incidents in Illinois last year, with some targeted to the LGBTQ community. Brian Johnson, the CEO of Equality Illinois, an advocacy group for the LGBTQ community, says the report is devastating but not surprising. We have seen in lots of different ways, uh, hate and violence toward the LGBTQ community and other historically marginalized communities has just been on the rise since 2016, 2017. The Anti-Defamation League reports the racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-LGBTQ flyers, posters, banners, and stickers spread nationally come from dozens of white supremacist groups. Johnson says the spread of hateful propaganda correlates to a 76% increase in murders of trans people, particularly black transgender women. This is Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM, WGLT, and WGLT.org. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. BNA continues its educational video series, Hear My Story, with local patient Robert Handley. Once I got the Bluetooth hearing aid, I'd say 90% of the people that I talk to on the phone, I can understand. Didn't have that before. Robert's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. You're listening to Bloomington Normal's Public Media. False narratives and former President Donald Trump's rhetoric still haunt the Asian American community. 
The recent effects have left eight people dead in an Atlanta mass shooting. Student reporter Katrina Peterson talks with Asian Americans who have to live with the dangers of xenophobia. The coronavirus demands distance, but Illinois State student Selena Aquino says she's been alienated because of her Filipino descent. It was definitely a big worry for me when um, the coronavirus started to like, get more serious and like we started to experience more cases. I definitely felt like I like didn't feel comfortable or as like cases went up the hate against the Asian community started going up as well and it was just kind of like it was definitely like a big worry for me like I would hope nothing would happen but like like what's happening and like you never know like I feel like I've always had to be like on the edge. Aquino says she would have never expected this in 2021. Aquino says she limits her time on public transportation and never walks anywhere alone. Like you can like never be too sure and I know um my friends and I also share locations with each other traveling by myself too um I definitely feel like more nervous. I always have to be like aware of like my surroundings. I like always catch myself like always like looking around. Stop AAPI Hate collects reports of hate incidents against Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. They found nearly 3,800 incidents recorded in 2020 and 2021. More than two thirds of the reports came from women. Aquino says men hypersexualize her. Where I would get comments like, oh, like, you're Asian, like, that's so hot, like, that's so sexy. It would just, like, make me so uncomfortable, and I definitely feel like that created trust issues where I felt like I would always have to um, find out, like, what, like, a guy's motive is if they're trying to talk to me or um, if they, like, express that they like me. Like, there's always that, like, thought in the back of my head thinking, like, oh, what if, like, they only like me because I'm, like, this Asian woman and it's just like a fantasy for them. McLean County board member Sharon Chung says she has two daughters she has to stay safe for. Chung has also had to endure sexual objectification and harassment. Chung has had to become outspoken. And I'm kind of thinking about all the other times in my life where I felt I had to sort of do that to protect myself from from men and (laughs) sorts of objectification that they do. Think about the countless sort of Sometimes, you know, you hear sort of like, you know, asking people if I'll love them a long time, you know, sucky, sucky, and all this sort of thing. You know, I've heard it. I've heard it all. And, you know, I just ignore usually and walk away. I don't know about like current day me. If I heard that, I probably would do something else. But Sharon Chung says the gross fetishizing of Asian women has to stop and the violence against Asians has to stop. Chung says words like China virus and Kung flu are a form of violence. Part of an emergency resolution drafted by McLean County Board said that COVID-19 was a novel coronavirus that originated in China. While it passed saying that we could strike that from this resolution, I want to say there were four or five members that voted against it. <laughs> and I, I saw them. <laughs> and and it, 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 um, it didn't surprise me who they were because they're kind of the most, frankly, conservative members on the board. And it it hurt me, really. It it kind of did. The hate hasn't gone away since Sharon Chung was in college. ISU student Nara Zozaya says she is especially concerned for her grandmother. The elderly Asian population, specifically elderly women, have been targeted. It can really happen to anybody, just like what we learned what happened in Atlanta. To be honest, I don't feel safe at all. And I I really worry for my family, um, my grandma, you know, my parents. 
I know there were recent attacks towards like elderly Asian Americans, and I just on a daily I'm starting to worry about them. Narozozaya says she tends to be outspoken, and if someone uses hateful language like China virus or kung flu, if you know somebody straight up says those words to me, I I am the type of person to say something back, and I I won't be attacking them or anything, but I would tell them to you know educate themselves and learn about the virus. Obviously, everyone's getting it. It doesn't discriminate towards any type of race, and try to tell them how offensive it is and how it makes. Asian Americans feel. Nara Zosia says it would be nice if someone would speak up for the Asian community, and the defense wouldn't always have to land on her shoulders. I really think that they need to use their voices. Any type of discrimination towards Asian Americans regarding the virus, whatever it is, that it is not acceptable, and、um, I just feel like they need to speak up about it. I know a lot of, you know, just the headlines and the media.、Um, they're not really. Stating what's actually happening, you know, I think it could have been worded differently, where it's very transparent as to what happened, which is a hate crime towards Asian Americans by a white male. So I think just the you know our leaders can do a better job of addressing what is actually happening. Several politicians are speaking out, including U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth, who is an Asian American. Duckworth says Asians are no longer the model minority. Not、um, a community that's overcome racism, you know, obviously,、uh, because there are those among us who who truly struggle, and racism is、um, a very real factor in.、Um, In our community, Selena Aquino says education is a way to fight ignorance. She says she's tired of being viewed as the model minority. Everyone um outside the Asian community um stand for us and fight for us and make sure that like we're being heard and am. Amplifying our voices. McLean County Board Member Sharon Chung says this is like a Black Lives Matter moment for the Asian community, and people need to fight for Asian lives. I'm Katrina Peterson. This is Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM WGLT and WGLT.org. As we celebrate Black History as an essential part of American history, not just during Black History Month, but all the time. WGLT, the City of Bloomington, and the Bloomington Human Relations Commission congratulate the 2021 Black History Essay Contest winners. WGLT brings you readings of those essays. Today, it's Aliyah Husman. Husman is a student at Bloomington High School. Here are her words. It's the month of Black History, the month that should acknowledge every African race, every ethnic group, and every person of color that has touched the roots of our society. We read and acknowledge the literature composed. By Frederick Douglass, the story of Rosa Parks, the speech of Martin Luther King, and more. In our society today, we have got to acknowledge more. Every Black abolitionist, entrepreneur, revolutionary, and activist that has helped us to get to where we are today. There are a tremendous amount of people in Black history who aren't shed light on. We have to acknowledge everyone, starting with an education system that doesn't pick and choose which Black history, but covers its entirety. In America. It is our responsibility to acknowledge the despicable and cruel acts that have taken place from 1776 until 1865. In addition, it's important for our society today to take responsibility in educating our children on the eminence of Black history 
and how our leaders in the past have shaped our community that we continue to grow as well. Black history is a subject that has been controversial for many people who do not wish to accept diversity or reform, especially this past year and now in 2021. In our society today, we have faced many devastating challenges from the current global pandemic to the environmental crisis, political and social economic crisis, and unemployment hurting the economy. Throughout all of these troubles, racism will always be a common factor in the way we live and interact with each other. Racism has drawn us farther apart than it has brought us together, even during Black History Month. This is a reform that we need to advocate for and educate our communities on to participate in learning about the oppressed who are in our textbooks, on the internet, and in our history. Black history in our society has been expressed through multiple ways, one especially being social media. In these acts of performative activism, many people express differentiated opinions online about Black History Month and people of color in general. The impact Black history has on those unwilling to reason or find peace against discrimination is a struggle that our status quo in today's society will continue to be over-challenged with unless we accept each other no matter the color while recognizing the past that has brought Black people to where we are today. Black history has allowed me to appreciate who I am and utilize the resources and books to further learn about the leaders in our history. In my life, experiencing racism, unfortunately, has become more normal than it should. Black History Month is important to me because it is something that we should all care about and be educated on to acknowledge what our Black entertainers, artists, writers, justices, activists, leaders, visionaries, and more have done for our people of color. Black history has inspired me to use my voice for myself and for others. Standing up for what is wrong in our society against people of color is something I am extremely passionate about. Going out in the community and seeing people come together to speak out against racism and show the love and respect that people deserve is something that I wish for the entirety of our nation. The most important impact that Black history has had on our society is the opportunities for children and adults to feel more connected throughout our Black history in our community. Black history has impacted the way we acknowledge prejudiced beliefs and values that shouldn't divide us as a whole, but support each other through companionship. Putting aside our differences and continuing the determination to teach our youth about Black history is impacting our society through love and connections that will help our future generations. Not only does Black history impact our society, it impacts our hearts. We learn to love each other even stronger in the ways we are connected with each other, knowing past history while making history in the same moments. The memories we hold and stories that we share can cause growth in our society for the better, and Black History Month makes these momentous aims achievable. Bloomington High School student Aaliyah Huseman is one of the winners of the Black History Essay Contest, sponsored by the City of Bloomington Human Relations Commission. This is Bloomington Normal's Public Media. The Illinois Department of Corrections halted in-person visits last March because of the pandemic. A year later, there's still no plan to allow families to reconnect. Patrick Smith reports. Von Jones has been locked up in an Illinois prison for more than two decades with no chance of parole. Still, Kim Henry says he is the love of her life. He is the father of my child, grandfather of my three grandchildren. 
he's a major part of the family, even though he's not there. He encourages us. He consoles us. He supports us. Um, you know, he loves us. Before the pandemic, Henry would make the 45-minute drive from Carbondale to Menard Prison to see Jones every weekend. Sit at the tables, you know, and talk. We can hold hands, which is something we do often. But then on March 14th, 2020, the Illinois Department of Corrections halted in-person visitations to try and prevent the spread of COVID-19. I lost a major support. And for the inmates, COVID precautions have meant stricter rules around movement. There have been lockdowns and quarantines because of positive tests. Volunteer-led programming has been halted. This year has been really rough on him. He would have to be losing some of his humanity because you've got no visits, no human contact, no, no sense that anyone loves you. Jennifer Volenkatz heads the independent prison watchdog, the John Howard Association. She says there were understandable reasons why the state halted in-person visits in the first place. Look, when it comes to issues of contagion, the reality is, is that, you know, prisons present enormously dangerous environments. But she says the state has not done enough to support other ways for people inside to connect with the outside world. The substitutes for in-person visits are just not nearly good enough, um, and they wouldn't be even if functioning properly, but they're not. So, for instance, video visits have been plagued with tech issues, um, and access to phones has been really limited due to limitations on movement related to trying to contain COVID. You know, Governor Pritzker set out guidelines for nail salons, hair salons, bars, restaurants. So why hasn't he set out guidelines for prisons? They're under his control. It, it really is upsetting to me. Julie Anderson's son, Eric, is incarcerated. She says the state could set up outdoor visiting areas with rules around capacity and masking. A lot of the prisons, when you're in the visiting room, you can look outside and there's an enclosed patio area that has a brick fence around it with tables there that they used to have outside visits, but they stopped them. It's attached to the visiting room. It's very easily for those facilities to to have outside visiting. Very easy. So why do you think IDOC hasn't done that? Because they don't have to. They don't care. Last week, Governor J.B. Pritzker unveiled a plan for the next steps in the state's reopening. It didn't mention the state's prisons. A spokesperson for Pritzker's Corrections Department says they're hopeful indoor and outdoor visits will be available by the summer, but she didn't answer what criteria need to be met for that to happen and wouldn't give a specific target date. For Kim Henry, she misses seeing the love of her life. I, I need a hug. <laughs> you know, after a year, I need I need some type of hug. I need to be able to hold his hand. Henry says with the pandemic, it feels like prisons and the people inside of them are even more invisible than usual. I'm Patrick Smith. Vaughn Jones has been locked up in an Illinois prison for more than two decades with no chance of parole. Still, Kim Henry says he is the love of her life. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. 
Recently, the publisher of several books by Dr. Seuss said those popular children's works would no longer be published because they contained racist material. Illinois State University children's literature scholar Roberta Trites says the end of what were considered classics is a normal part of the evolution of society. Trites is the Lois Lenski lecturer this year at ISU. That takes place next Monday evening. In this conversation, Trites talks about the evolution of children's literature in the last three decades and says the field has become much richer. Children's literature is much more diverse. Children's literature is much more complex. We have much more intricate books that challenge children very cognitively, especially at the picture book level, to become better visual readers as well as being good readers of the written word. Novels for children have grown too, to become more sophisticated, more interesting in many ways. We, we love our classics. We love our classics. But we also have some really, biggest change in my career has been Harry Potter. And it, it led to a lot of interesting diversifications of genre too. How has it become more sophisticated and in what way is it deeper than it used to be? I would argue that we're more willing to deal with tough topics. Children's literature has always been reasonably willing to deal with death, but it was often the death of a grandparent or a goldfish or a dog. But now we have a lot of sensitive children's novels and even some pretty good picture books that deal with the fact that we can die at any unexpected moment. How do we deal with that grief? How do we, how do we anticipate our own loss? Young adult literature in particular has become more sophisticated and more complex in that way. Have picture books moved at the same pace in becoming more sophisticated or becoming more diverse than the printed children's literature. Uh, it's been my impression that when my kids were growing up that I saw more diversity in the picture books than, than in the, the printed stuff for a while. I was going to make just exactly that point. I think picture books became more postmodern and played with narrative structure and metafiction more often. But uh, diversity especially was far more urgently felt in the 1990s than many people realize. And I think it was the picture books that moved the novels to understand the importance of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I think the picture books started the trend. What's been the effect on kids growing up with these different opportunities to read? I have not done a formal study of that since I'm a book person and I study books more than I study children. But I see people much more interested in immersing themselves in an imaginative world than happened when we were growing up. Whether we're talking about The Hunger Games or Harry Potter or Divergent or any one of a number of fantasy series, I see them wanting extended contact with an imaginary world. You mentioned that we still have uh, fond classics, but some of those classics are falling out of the canon. The number of Dr. Seuss things have just been publicized as being not as woke as they should be for our current time. Are we going to see more of that? Lots 
and lots of 19th century books fell out of the canon by the 1920s. Lots and lots of 1920s books fell out of the canon by the 1970s. This is a normal historical evolution. It's just how societies change. We change what we value. And in this case, I, I don't mind if I never see Little Black Sambo again. I don't mind if I never see and think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. I read it to my kids. I've taught it. But there's an image in there that is very disturbing to many, many people. And I, I would not want any Asian American child, any Asian child, or even my own children to see that image and think it's acceptable. The publisher pulled it. It wasn't censored. It was a market force decision because people don't want to buy racist children's books anymore. So we really believe in free enterprise. Um, that's just how the market has developed. This lecture is kind of your swan song. You're retiring over the summer. What do you think you're happiest to have noted in children's literature in your career? The change in diversity and the change in how women and females and girls are treated, whether these are people who identify as female, is now an option and we can read about the real life feelings of, of people with dysphoria. The thing I am most satisfied about is I came into this field as a feminist and I have seen a lot of gender changes. Not enough, nowhere near enough. If we're still debating about the Violence Against Women Act, we haven't seen enough change. I'm glad it passed. But I do think we are allowing children a much, much fuller ability to explore the whole range of themselves, who they are, what their world is. And I, I like that. ISU Distinguished Professor Roberta Trites is the Lois Lenski lecturer this year by Zoom at ISU. She retires at the end of the summer. In her career as a Mark Twain, Louisa May Alcott, and children's literature scholar, Trites says she has also hooded more than 20 PhD students. The Lenski Children's Lecture is scheduled for 7 p.m. Monday, March 29th. Thanks for choosing Sound Ideas on WGLT, made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm Charlie Schlenker. This is Bloomington Normal's Public Media. <laughs>